Good day again and welcome back. Allow me to greet all of you a blessed new year. Happy new year and happy 2021. Today is already the second week of this year and I pray that all is well with you and your family, that you are in good health and even as your soul is getting along well. I hope that you are finding the grace of God sufficient as He sustains you throughout this, especially at the beginning of this year. We're still in our series entitled, From Ruin to Glory. Last week, we already concluded the study of our study in the book of Haggai. And today, and for the next few weeks, we will continue our focus on the study of the book of Zechariah. And just a quick review, Haggai and Zechariah were the two prophets that God sent to his people after the Babylonian exile. Their mission was to encourage and mobilize God's people to finish rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. As I mentioned last time, Bible scholars consider Zechariah as the apocalypse of the Old Testament. It is a similar book compared to Revelation in the New Testament. Both Zechariah and Revelation are considered apocalyptic books because they contain many prophetic visions and symbols. Now, in reading and interpreting biblical prophecies, it would be helpful to keep this in mind, this general principle. Prophetic visions and apocalyptic writings often convey a message of hope and warning. Let me repeat that. Prophetic visions and apocalyptic writing often convey a message of hope and writing. And let us uh, read Zechariah with this in mind. Let us look for God's message of hope and let us also look at God's message of warning. You see, when you read scripture, you'd notice that there are two instances when God would send his prophet. First, when God's people are going through incredible hardships. Through the prophet, God speaks his words of comfort. In times of trials and distress, God would offer them hope and encouragement. Now take note that there's also a challenge that usually accompanies this message of hope. It could be a challenge calling God's people to endure and to remain faithful in their hardships. Also, part of this message of hope is usually um, it includes a promise of judgment for the enemies of God's people. Second, God would also send his prophet when God's people are sinning. In this case, God uses his prophet to speak his words of warning to his people. And this is a message of warning which is normally accompanied by a call to repentance so that God's people can avoid God's impending judgment. Now, the book of Zechariah is a book of comfort and hope. And this is the outline of the book. First, there's a call to repentance. And then there's comfort through the series of visions. And then the counsel regarding fasting. And lastly, the coming events. So for chapters 1 to 6 of, six of this book, <clears throat> we'll find eight visions in all. And as we go along in the series, you will see that this vision is mostly a message of uh, comfort of, and hope for God's people. Now, our passage for today is found in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7 to 21. I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. This passage covers the first two visions of Zechariah. And we will study these two because they go together and their message build upon each other. <clears throat> now, these beginning visions are significant because it provides a general theme of the other visions that will follow. And as for the rest of the visions that we will look at, each of them is distinct. But at the same time, they are all saying the same thing, and yet they come from different angles. 
Now, specifically for these first two visions, these are the three key lessons that we can learn from Zechariah. First, God watches over his people. Second, God speaks words of comfort to his people. And third, God will wage war and win over his enemies. Let's look at this one by one. The first, God watches over his people. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. First, you need to understand that Zechariah saw all the eight visions back to back in just a single night. Specifically, he saw these visions on the 24th day of the 11th month. This date tells us that Zechariah received these visions two months after Haggai's last message and five months after the Jews had started rebuilding the temple. Let's continue verses 8 to 11. And I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees which were in the ravine with red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? The angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. Verse 10. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And so they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. This text is the first and the longest of Zechariah's night visions. He saw a man riding on a red horse among the myrtle trees. And who is the man on this red horse? Verse 11 tells us that he is the angel of the Lord. And there with the angel of the Lord were other horsemen riding on red, brown, and white horses. And what are they doing? God sent these riders to patrol the earth and to see that they have completed their patrolling. And now they're reporting their uh, report to the commander-in-chief, which is the angel of the Lord. So what's the meaning of this vision? First, there are several images and symbols here that we need to interpret. First, the angel of the Lord, then the horsemen, and then the trees. First, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is the commander-in-chief of God's armies of angels. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord and God is the same. Also, Bible scholars tell us that the angel of the Lord is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Before taking on human form, Jesus appeared during the Old Testament times through angelic form. And do you know what's the responsibility of the angel of the Lord as he relates to the people of Israel? There's a beautiful psalm that tells us his responsibility in Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who take refuge in him. Did you hear that? The angel of the Lord is the defender, he is the protector, and he is the rescuer of God's people. Every Jew who knew about their history is familiar with this one special angel. The angel of the Lord is the super angel who is the rescuer of God's people. Now note that the angel of the Lord is in the ravine. Probably that's in the Kidron, uh, in the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem. And the people must be very encouraged upon hearing this. Why? Because during this time, it has been about 200 years since the angel of the Lord last appeared in Israel's history. It was only after their chastening was completed, it was only after when the people had repented and returned to God, that the angel of the Lord again appeared and he returned and he is now ready to defend his people. 
So when the angel of the Lord appeared, it signifies that God himself had returned. The time has come for God to return. And he is now at the edge or, the, or at the outskirts of the city. God is ready to go in anytime. But he had not yet fully returned to Jerusalem because the temple was still under construction. Next, the horsemen. Because of their strength and swiftness, horses have become symbols of war. These were horses that Zechariah saw were battle-ready and prepared for judgment and vengeance. The color red is associated with bloodshed and judgment, while the color white symbolizes victory and triumph. The sorrel or brown horse is possibly the combination of these two colors, and so it represents a mixture of both judgment and mercy. Now, these riders patrol the earth, similar to a battle preparation before staging an attack. They just finished their reconnaissance mission. These Horsemen patrolled and surveyed the movements and the positions of their enemy. They assessed the situation of God's people as well. And now these riders found out that everything was peaceful and quiet. And this condition is the complete opposite of what God's people were experiencing. While the nations of the earth were at rest, God's people were in distress. Now in the original language, the term peace and quiet is the word sha'an. While its meaning uh, at the time, it could be a time of political peace or the absence of war. It could also mean something else and in a negative way. This word was used several times in the Old Testament to refer to selfish indifference and apathy. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 16. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. That's the word sha'an. That's the word peace and rest. But she did not help the poor and the needy. You see, here in Ezekiel, God rebuked Sodom for her peace, which was actually indifference from the plight of the needy. And it's the same thing here that we see in Zechariah. God was displeased with the peace of the powerful nations that they experienced, while they let God's people to suffer and remain in distress. But the good news is God will soon turn around that status quo because the angel of the Lord has arrived. The angel of the Lord is now with his army and he will quickly fulfill God's promise through the prophets. I will terrify those nations. I will throw them down and destroy them. That's in Zechariah 1.21. And Haggai said, I will shake all the nations. The angel of the Lord is now preparing his army. How about the trees, the myrtle trees? These trees are short, lowly, and very common trees. But interestingly, its leaves are have pleasant fragrances when they are crushed. We also read that these trees were located in the ravine. A ravine is a deep and narrow valley outside Jerusalem. And this is the contrast to the mighty cedars on a hill. So commentators says that these myrtle trees symbolize the humble and lowly state of God's chosen people. They were in a deep place. They were in a low condition. They were in a place of suffering. But here's the good news. The angel of the Lord has now returned and he is now standing among the myrtle trees and the Lord himself will come back and he will soon rescue his people. So combining these elements, let's try to interpret the vision. Remember that during this time, the people of God were discouraged. Yes, they were back in the land, but they were facing lots of difficulties. There was no city wall to protect them. There was no temple, which was a symbol of God's presence. The economy was in bad shape. Much was planted, but they harvested a little. Because of the blight, the mildew, and the hail, 
that destroyed their crops, they experienced so much losses. Now the people, they were now working on the temple, but their task is too overwhelming for them. The, the Jews felt discouraged and all of them felt hopeless and helpless. Perhaps they're thinking, will things ever change? Will things get better or will things only get worse? In the physical realm, all of God's people could see was their difficulties and the ruins. Now remember that God used Haggai and Zechariah to remind them that to return to him and that the prophets reminded them that repentance brings blessing and holiness brings blessing. And now after their obedience with their sins finally out of the way, God can now start blessing his people. And the Lord gave Zechariah these eight visions to comfort and strengthen his people. And what was God's message through this first vision? God is telling them that he is watching over his people, that he is uh, going to do and he is going to fulfill his promise. And he is now in their midst. He and his powerful presence is with them. God is saying, since you have returned to me, I have returned to you. I have returned to you as the angel of the Lord, your defender, your protector. And God tells his people, I am standing among you and I am fully aware of your lowly condition. And what a great and encouraging news for God's people. Can you imagine that? The Jews were looking at the destruction and the ruins around them, wondering why. Would there be an improvement? Would they be able to re reconstruct the temple? Would they be able to rebuild their lives? Perhaps they even asked among themselves, has God forgotten us? Did God abandon us altogether? But suddenly they realized through the vision of Zechariah that standing in their midst is the angelic army led by the angel of the Lord himself. There's a glorious protector and defender in their midst and he has returned and God himself stands ready to fight for them. He is now ready to comfort them in their time of greatest need. So dear friends, this vision is also God's encouragement for us today. The angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is standing with us amidst our suffering. As we face our difficulties, God's angel encamps around those who trust in the Lord. In the physical realm, things may be seem dark, it may seem hopeless, and life may seem to be in ruins. It could seem tragic and discouraging. But let us not forget that there is a greater reality. In the spiritual world, God watches over us. And God watches over us not from a distance, but He watches us up close and personal. And His powerful presence is with us even in the midst of our worst trials. So brothers and sisters, let us be our encouragement. You may be in the hollows or the ravine of your life. Perhaps you're still in that deep and dark pit, in that deep and dark place of anguish, and you're being crushed by your trials and difficulties. But God tells us, don't despair. Why? Because Christ himself, with his army of angels, he is with you, and God is your protector, and he is our defender. But the question is, will you trust him? Will you see him with your spiritual eyes? Will you see him with your faith? Now think about your life. Think and reflect. What are you afraid of, especially coming towards 2021? How would you see 2021? How worried are you about it? How will it impact your family or your business? Or how will it impact your relationship, your studies, or even your ministry? 
Don't be afraid because the Lord is watching over you. And being fully aware of your situation, God knows your pain. God knows your worry. God knows your concerns. He sees your fears and He hears your cries. And this is God's assurance for us. So do you think God has forgotten you? Don't believe that lie. Know that God is with you. And God is not just a God who observes us from a distance, but He is the God who came near. In fact, the Bible tells us that our Lord is the God who is with us. Jesus Christ came to us as our Savior. And when He returned to the Father, He has now given us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit who now resides in us because God is faithful and true. And so I hope and pray that as we go through 2021, may all of us see Christ our Lord, see God, that He is with us through the eyes of our faith. And may God open the eyes of our hearts to help us sense His powerful presence with us so that we can face this year not with fear, but with hope. The second point of this vision is this. God speaks words of comfort to His people. God speaks words of comfort to His people. Zechariah 1.12 Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, with which you have been indignant these 70 years? 70 years was the time that God had decreed for Israel to be in exile, as prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. But that time was over now. And so notice what the angel of the Lord did. He interceded on behalf of God's people. He asked the Lord of hosts to withdraw his chastening hand. The angel of the Lord asked, How long will you again show mercy to your people? Do you find this amazing? Here in Zechariah, it was not the prophet nor the people who have prayed this prayer. However, we can be sure that they prayed also the same thing, but it was recorded that the angel of the Lord was the one who prayed on behalf of God's people. And this picture shows us this great and beautiful truth, that the angel of the Lord is not only the God who is our defender and protector and rescuer, but he is also our intercessor and advocate. The angel of the Lord is not only the God who is our defender, protector, and rescuer, but he is also our intercessor and advocate. He prays on our behalf. He prays for God's people. And this is an amazing truth that should encourage us. The angel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, pleads to the Father to have compassion to the suffering of his people. And this is good news for all of us. And this reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life. It is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Did you hear that? Christ is the one interceding for us as he sits at the right hand of God. So, dear friends, this is an encouragement for you and me. Despite our sins, despite our weaknesses and unfaithfulness, Christ has forgiven us and we can come before Him when we return to Him. And Christ is praying for you and me. And can you imagine Christ is asking God your questions on your behalf? And can you imagine Jesus, our Lord, pleading to God for requests on your favor? And so as you go through your trials, Christ is praying for you. Christ is praying for your marriage, for your children, for your relationships. And as you face the challenges in your families, in your workplace, in your school, Christ is praying for you. He is praying that your faith 
may remain strong and not fail. And as you fight and battle your temptations, Christ is asking God to help you stand firm. And after you have returned to God, our Lord Jesus is also asking the Father to strengthen you and me so that we can strengthen others as well. And what was the Lord's reply um, to answer the angel of the Lord? Verse 13 tells us, The Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Do you hear that? God could have said, this people does not deserve my compassion. Let them suffer longer. But God is a God of compassion and he cares for his people. So instead of rebuke and discouraging words, God gave these gracious and comforting words. What did God say? Three things. First, God affirmed his affection to his people, God's affection towards Jerusalem. He said, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. The grammar here emphasized the intensity of God's jealousy for his people. Literally, this is translated as jealous I am with exceeding jealousy. The word jealous is placed at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis. In the Hebrew word for the for jealousy is kana. It means passion or zeal, which is a two-sided word. Zeal means love and hatred combined. Now, just as a loving husband and father loves his wife and children so much that he hates anything that hurts them, in the same way God loves his people so much that he hates anything that would hurt his people. Now, also, the Hebrew word for jealousy comes from the Arabic word, which means to turn something black or red with dye. And just imagine a person getting so angry and upset and furious. What happens to, the, to his face? It turns dark red. And so with these words, God was telling his people, My love for you is intensely passionate and strong. My love for you is deep and passionate and strong. As John Calvin says that here is a picture of God who is like a husband fighting for his own wife. And husbands, just imagine your face turning dark red because of intense jealousy for your wife. You see, God was encouraging his people by affirming his love to them. And here's my point. God has a special place in his heart for his people. God is not indifferent when he delays his help. God is not indifferent even though he does not exactly act as quickly as we may want him to. The opposite is true. God has a an exceedingly jealous love for his people. And as part of his people, we as his church, as his bride. Let us remember that God loves us deeply despite our sin and unfaithfulness. Just listen to God's word through the prophet Hosea. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak ten tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. Friends, this is the heart of God. Do you feel that God has forgotten you? Don't despair. He will not let you go. 
and He promised that He would not leave you nor abandon you because God loves you with a passionate love. Secondly, God comforts His people by expressing His anger against the other nations and the enemies of God's people. God's anger against the nations. The Lord said, But I am very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Literally, the translation says, I am angry with a great anger, which is the opposite of what God feels for His people. This anger is the other side of God's seal. While God comforts His people with His love, God also confronts the other nations with His fierce anger. You see, God used other nations as His instrument to discipline Israel. But these nations went too far. God intended to punish Israel for a time and then to show compassion towards them afterwards. Isaiah 54, 7. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. Now, let me clarify. This verse in verse 15, it says, It is not saying that God has lost control when He said that the other nations furthered the disaster. It's far from it. Our God is a sovereign God who is always in full control. This verse reflects that there is a mystery of interplay between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And this passage emphasizes God's care and comfort towards His people, telling them that He is not neutral towards their enemies. Instead, the Lord is intensely angry at them. God hated their arrogance and their indifference. Now, God was not just angry at Babylon. God was also angry with Israel's neighbor. Why? Because they took advantage of Israel's situation when they were weak and vulnerable. And one of these nations is Edom. In fact, God devoted one entire book to rebuke and pronounce judgment against Edom. And that is the book of Obadiah. Obadiah chapter 1 verses 10 to 15. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress, for the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. And as you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Did you hear that? God comforted His people by telling them, I will deal with your enemies. I will curse those who curse you. And those who oppressed you and profited at your expense, I will make them pay. Dear friends, let this be our comfort and hope. Are you suffering because others took advantage of you? Don't lose heart. Have you been abused and exploited by wicked people? Don't despair because God will uphold your cause. He promised to act on your behalf in His time. But for now, let us wait on the Lord. Romans 12:19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Thirdly, God comforted His people by assuring them of His restoration, God's assurance of restoration. Zechariah 1.16 Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Just look at God's back-to-back message of comfort and hope to his people. Note that there are five promises that God declared. First, God promised that he would return to his people. He himself would come back. Second, God also promised that his house, his temple that they were building would be built. And the rebuilding of the temple would signify the return of God's presence in their midst. Third, God also pledged that he would rebuild the entire city of Jerusalem as well. It says in verse 16, a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. It means that they are going to lay out the city and rebuild it. And fourth, God promised that his city would again overflow with prosperity. Since God is already with his people, then abundance and blessing would follow. And fifth, God promised that he will again convert Zion and choose Jerusalem. And do you realize that God initially fulfilled what he promised? Four years later, the temple was completed and God's glory returned to his people. And 80 years after this word of Zechariah, Nehemiah finished the walls of Jerusalem. And God is indeed a faithful and loving God. And God is not yet finished. The Lord also promised that someday the kingdom of the Messiah would come in the future and he would finally establish what he promised towards his people. And why do I say that? Let's look at verse 17. Again proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again convert Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Note that the word again was repeated four times, and this repetition emphasized the certainty of God's intention that He will restore His people, that He will rebuild His city, and God will surely accomplish every word that He has spoken. And so, dear friends, this is also the heart of God for you and me. Do you think God has deserted you? Do you feel God has left you to suffer on your own? Don't let these lies blind you. God desires to comfort you and give you hope, and He is ready to draw near to you. But here's the question for us. Will you let God be part of your life? Will you give Him a chance? Will you wait on Him? And will you trust Him completely? May God help us. The last. God will wage war and win over his enemies. God will wage war and win over his enemies. Verse 18 to 21. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there were four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he answered, These are the horns which have scattered Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw them down, the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. Now this passage is the second vision of Zechariah. Zechariah saw the four horns and the four craftsmen. And what's the meaning of these things? First, the animal horns. The animal horns were symbols of power and pride. In this vision's context about God's judgment, each horns represent one nation or the head of that nation. In this text, the horns may represent the nation that attacked God's people. This could refer to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, or Medo-Persia. 
And the horns could also mean the four world empires of Daniel chapter 2 and 7, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and all of which oppressed Israel. Now, it seemed to make better sense that the number four in this passage is something that connotes a sense of totality or completeness rather than a specific number of specific four nations. It's like using the term four corners of the earth or four points of the compass to signify every direction or signify totality. Now the words craftsmen here is the term used for stone workers and metal workers and woodworkers. It's like the blacksmith. It's the one who shapes materials and ha with hammers and chisels. And as just as blacksmiths hammer down on the materials that they're working on and in the craftsmen, in this vision, they will also do the same. They will hammer down and throw down the horns of the nations who have oppressed God's people. In other words, God will wage war and destroy his enemies and he will win over them. As mentioned earlier, this second vision is connected to the first. In the first vision, God tells his people that he is angry with their enemies. But God did not stop there. And through this second vision, God assures his people that he will bring justice to his people. God promised that there would be a hammer to crush their enemies. And through the nations that he will also use. Now, now though these nations are at ease, and they left Israel suffering and in distress, eventually their judgment will come. Just look at the words of the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 31 to 34. Behold, I am against you, O arrogant one, declares the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The arrogant one will stumble and fall with no one to raise him up, and I will set fire to his city, and it will devour all his environs. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the sons of Israel are oppressed, and the sons of Judah as well, and all who took them captive have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is his strong, the Lord of hosts is his name, but he will vigorously plead their case so that he may bring rest to the earth, but turmoil to the inhabitants of Babylon. Again, listen to what God said. Their Redeemer is his strong, the Lord of hosts is his name, he will vigorously plead their case. And history tells us that God's words came to pass. Who was the craftsman that smashed Babylon? It's the Medio Persia. And who was the craftsman who smashed Medio Persia? It was Greece. And who was the craftsman who destroyed Greece? It was Rome. And in the future, God's promise of vengeance against his people's enemies will also happen when Christ himself returned, when Christ established his rule and his reign, and he established his kingdom forever and ever, and it will never end. So dear friends, let us be our hope and comfort, especially to all of us who follow the Lord. Are you being oppressed and persecuted because of your faith in Christ? Does evil seem to be winning and does it seem that they are getting away with their schemes? Do you wonder, why am I suffering and yet those who have no regard for God, they live at ease and their life seems to be better? Don't be discouraged because we have something to look forward to. At the proper time, God will execute his justice and righteousness and he will vindicate you. Those who have oppressed you and those who are against God will one day be judged. The Lord of hosts will hold them accountable for their wicked actions. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6-8 to 8 tells us, God is just and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you.
and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy place and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believe our testimony to you. Friends, because our God is the avenging God, our God is the great avenger, we can be humble and meek. Just like our Lord Jesus Christ, we can turn the other cheek, love our enemies, and bless those who curse us. And we can be sure that in the Lord, justice delayed is not justice denied. He keeps an account of all the wrongs that is done against us, and someday He will repay. And so, let us be faithful. Let us fight the good fight of faith. Let us keep on running the race and let us endure until the end. Now, let me end with this. In 1942, General Douglas MacArthur left the Philippines to escape the invading Japanese forces during World War II. Upon his retreat and arrival in Australia, General MacArthur made this famous declaration and promise, I shall return. I shall return and after which the Allied forces in the Pacific regrouped and planned their counter-offensive. Just two years after, on October 20, 1944, after winning the bloody battle of Leyte Gulf, General MacArthur and his troops landed on the Philippine island of Leyte. And on that day, he made a radio broadcast which declared, People of the Philippines, I have returned. I have returned. And in January 1945, General Douglas MacArthur and his forces invaded the island of Luzon. And this return eventually led to the liberation of Manila and eventually the entire Philippines in March and September of 1945. See, dear friends, the Lord is much more powerful than any human general. And God's words are more sure and trustworthy. And therefore, we can rest in His promises that He will restore and rebuild every ruin. When God returns, He will restore and rebuild what we have lost. And he will repay our enemies. After Jesus Christ, our Lord, came on earth 2,000 years ago, he has already disarmed Satan through his death on the cross. And now the Lord Jesus is preparing his final assault. And at the proper time, the King of kings and the Lord of lords will finally return. He and his legion of angels will defeat the evil one once and for all. And this is our hope and this is our comfort. And so may God help us to have faith and trust in Him. Today we've learned these first two visions of Zechariah and may this remind us that the Lord remembers and He will vindicate His people at His appointed time. Do not forget the Lord is our comfort and hope. He is the God who watches over His people. He is the God who speaks words of comfort to His people and He will wage war and win over His enemies. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful message of Zechariah. Thank you, Lord, for assuring us, Lord God, that as we go through the valley, the deep and dark places of our lives, that you are with us, that you watch over us, not just from a distance, but you are God who is near, that you are the God who is with us, Lord God, and the God who sees everything, Lord. Thank you, Father, for affirming us of your presence. Just embrace us with your love. And Father, as we 
we face our trials, empower us, O Lord, strengthen us, grant us your peace and your presence. When we are afraid, be our courage. When we are weak, be our strength. When we need guidance, grant us your wisdom. Father, for each and every one of us, we pray that you help us, Lord God, to see things through your spiritual eyes of faith, open our hearts and minds to you, and help us, Lord God, to see beyond the ruins, the destruction, the death, and the suffering. May your glory, Lord God, shine forth and help us, Lord God, to look forward to that day when Christ will rebuild and restore. And Father, help us, Lord God, as we go through the trials and the pain, grant us your strength. Help us, Lord God, to be mindful of our words, our thoughts, our actions. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. And enable us also, especially those who are weak, help us to, to encourage them, to support them, to love them, Lord God. And Father, we ask for your mercy and grace. Grant us your presence, O Lord, as we go through our day, as we go through another year, Lord God. Help us to start strong, to press on, and to finish well. Thank you, Lord. And Father, may you always remind us that we are, that you are with us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you once more for joining us. At this point, I invite you to have your family talk. Share with your family members the lessons that you have learned and think of specific ways to um, apply this truth in your life this week. And so again, I invite you to think of the lessons and apply this truth in your life. At this point, I invite you to bow your head as I give you the benediction. Let me bless you. As you begin this year, may you always pursue the Lord May you love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. May you love others as Christ loved you. As you face your trials, as you face your temptations and difficulties, may the Lord empower you. May God grant you comfort and hope through His peace and His presence. And may He always remind you that someday He will vindicate. He will avenge you for the glory of His name. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. See you again next time. God bless us all, and a happy 2021.